Welcome to Talking Time. Today, Ricky and I are talking about motorsport and watches, which are Ricky's most favourite things. Are they? They are indeed, yes. We've got a new person to speak to. And when I say new, I mean personally. It's somebody I've never met before. Somebody that I have had the briefest of conversations with on purpose. Because as I explained before I hit record, I like to take everybody on a journey. And I don't want to have gone down that path before myself. I want to learn new things and be amazed and enthralled as we speak to a new guest on the show. So do you want to do the introductions and we can find out more about how motorsport and watches collide? Yeah, today we're talking to Shami from Amalogato, well actually founder of Amalogato. Hi Shami, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you, and humbled that you asked me to join you today. Um been listening to you guys for a long time and what you're doing with the association is wonderful. So the fact that you've asked me today, it's an absolute privilege. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, shall we start with finding out what Amalogato means? I went online and you <laughs> come first everywhere in all of the searches. Amalogato comes on top. But then I also found out that it's an Italian word, word meaning, what does it mean? It means approved. Yes, it is. Um, it basically, so if you wanted to race a car between the 1940s to roughly around the 70s, a, a road GT car rather than a single seater, um, you had to be homologated. Your engine had to be stamped with a Mologato, ready to race. So one of my dream cars has always been um, a Ferrari 288 GTO. Uh, the 288 is the engine, the GT is a Gran Turismo, and the O meant homologato, homologated for racing. So that's where the inspiration to the name of the company came. And if you understand historic racing in particular, you'll know what homologato means immediately. So um, that that's the story behind the name of the brand, basically. So uh, yeah dreams of a teenager who wanted to own a 288 GTO. That explains a lot to me. Again, I've done no research. I wanted the journey to start here well, at the start yeah. line and by the end of the show, but the finish line, hopefully picking up a winner's trophy. Well, <laughs> that does explain a lot. I obviously am into cars and motorcycles and things like that. And yes, I understand the terminology where uh, to get involved in a race that a manufacturer has to produce a certain amount of road-faring additions. Yes. Back in the day, it would have been the RS500 and things like that, all the way through group re-rallying, etc., etc. So there we go, straight away, I have learned something. There you go. So that, that's, the, that's the story behind the name. It's, um, it's the O. And uh, like I said, a lot of people who are in racing get it straight away. Uh, but I'm always happy to explain, you know, the name behind it because some people think it's Japanese or something like that, but actually means ready to race. It definitely does sound that. Well, okay, we found out the history of the name. Let's find out the history of the man behind the name. How did you get into the wonderful world of watches? Uh, so it's 30 years this year, actually, that I produced my first watch. Uh, I was 23 years old. Yeah, I know. So it, although the brand's been going just under 10 years, 30 years ago, I was asked by um, one of the German manufacturers to build them a range of products. And one of those products was a watch. And I, ha I just ha didn't have a clue with where to get one made or who to help me out with making one. We didn't have Google back then. We had the Yellow Pages. So, and the Yellow Pages in Windsor didn't really help. Because, and I've lived in Windsor all my life. Um, so there weren't many watch manufacturers in, in Windsor. So I went to trade organizations, as in you had to go up to London to the House of Trade at, you know, the Hong Kong Trade um, um, House or the Japan. And I found a guy... And the reason I chose this guy is because he had an English name. Because uh, I thought if he's got an English name, then he's got to be speaking. He's got to speak English because language, you know, would be a barrier. It turned out it, it was a guy who had left the UK and gone to Japan and started his own factory. And he was, I think, he's about ten years older than me actually. But we've been friends since the age of twenty-three. So that's 
that was literally out of necessity that I go out and have to produce a watch. And um, and I've been doing private label watches for years for everyone from tire companies to Rolls-Royce to Bentley, that kind of thing, all depending on what budgets they had. So I've done a lot of I've done a lot of private label products over the years. We've even we've still got three contracts that we that we that I look after, which are private label and they're they're pretty elite car comp car brands. Um so yeah that that's the history behind how I got involved in the watch business. Um and it was basically because somebody said Kenyon I went, oh, I'll give it a go. And I did. And so that that's what happened. Excellent. So what was it you actually did before then when you were asked to produce products? What kind of products were you producing in the past? Well it was all sort of um so for instance when uh, I won't mention them but when a certain team won Lamar on a Sunday They'd say, can you go away and make a range of something to, for us to go and commemorate this win? Um, can you make us a, a, a baseball cap? Can you make us a jacket? That kind of stuff. And then they said, you know, we really want watches made as well. And they was then, I, I've always loved watches. So my favorite brand when I was younger and my first watch that my father gave me was when I was 12 years old. It was a Seiko, uh, black IP plated chronographs. And honestly, I, I used to just, spend hours just staring at it much like probably a youngster now gets the latest iphone and sits there scrolling through apps i literally uh, the way that this watch um had a um a stop start you know the resetting the needles moving around i literally spent hours doing it so my my first love was a seiko and i still love seiko now in fact I have a collection of Seikos um, and I have a private collection of other brands and I'm, I'm always out buying other brands. I bought a Grand Seiko a couple of weeks ago, actually, because I think it's probably one of the best watches on the market. So I'm a watch guy and I love watches. Um, but when, when, this, when this company came along when I was younger, 30 years ago, like I said, and said, can you, can you help me produce one? It was an absolute challenge. It was a thrill. It was interesting. So putting your love of something into something commercial to help, you know, I had a young child at the time as well at the age of 23. So we needed the money. And uh, when someone said, can you, I said, yeah, let me give it a go. And I did. And it worked. So um, that, that's where I started from. The, my, my watch, my watch um, love came from that first Seiko that my dad gave me when I was about 12. So, yeah, it's good when you can marry your hobby and your passion with your livelihood, because then it doesn't feel like you're working when you wake up. It is. It's fantastic. I haven't worked for 10 years. Honestly, every day is exciting. Every day you're doing something. You know, I was on track last Thursday. We hired out a track um, for all our customers. Uh, it was a commercial thing, but I'm on this track having a great laugh. And I'm thinking, how's this work? <laughs> and, you know, people bought watches on the day. People paid to cover the cost for the track day because I couldn't do it as a as a marketing thing. It has to pay for itself. I go to racetracks every weekend. I get to give awards. I'm off to America later on this afternoon to give an award in Texas. Are you needing an intern? I've got a passport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds glamorous, honestly. But, you know, last weekend was Portugal. The weekend before that was Mexico. This year we've done... My heart bleeds for yeah. you, it really does. <laughs> so, but it's wonderful. And really, honestly, I, I, I work because there's lots of pressure. But when the pressure is released and you get things right, it just feels amazing. It just how, you know, one day someone's going to collar me and say, right, get out. You're, you're an imposter. You're not working hard enough. But, you know, every day, we, every month we close the figures. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough retail market out there at the moment. There are a lot of watch brands who are not doing so well. And some big brands are struggling. And, you know, it's been well documented that, that some of the Swiss houses are, are, are struggling. Um, 
And we, you know, we closed September 35% up. We've just closed October 45% up on last year. Um, and on COVID years as well, where everyone was sitting at home, um, you know, using furlough money to buy stuff, we grew 300% that year. So it was massive. But even on that massive growth of, of lockdown years, we've grown on that. So we have got to be doing something. I mean, I'm very focused on not looking at what happened yesterday, always making sure that whatever happened, you know, whatever we do today, at midnight, all our registers say zero. That means we've done nothing today. So what do we do to make sure that we give people the reason to buy one of our watches today? And that's how I get up every morning. It's not a question of, oh, we had a great month, so we're going to chill out and, you know, go on holiday for three weeks or whatever. Even when I'm on holiday, I work. Um, the only day I don't work is on a Friday because... I want, but I, because I don't want to, <laughs> you know, because I work Saturdays and Sundays because there's invariably some sort of race going on. Like I said, in America this weekend, um, it's quite intense on Saturdays. It's quite intense on Sundays. Traffic to the website is is quite is quite heavy during these days, um, and um, I'm in I'm out I'm seeing people at a racetrack, and I love doing work around a racetrack. Um, I made a film at Le Mans this year. Um, I need inspiration. You can't make a motorsport watch by sitting at home or sitting in your office. You're surrounded by hard materials. You're surrounded by bills. You're surrounded by white noise in, a, in an office. But when I go to a racetrack, you know, you, you get to feel tires. You get to look at materials. You get to look at liveries. You get to look at colors. You get to meet people who actually use your watches in the battlefield. So, you know, and when you're sitting there and you're watching all of this and you see all of this, the inspiration might come immediately, but the inspiration might come on six months time and they get, oh my God, I remember that. Or that colorway really worked really well. Or those guys won that race. Or I met that guy and I want to do something for him. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's, the inspiration does come. So although I do go to racetracks and it, and it, and I, it is wonderful to be standing there. It's quite ironic because when I was younger, I used to love going to races, but I couldn't afford the tickets or the food. Um, and I'll tell you the inspiration behind the brand because it really did up, it upset me when I was younger that I, that I couldn't get included. But now I go to every racetrack and the tickets are, well, I put inverted, in inverted commas free and I get fed for free as well. So it's nuts that, you know, now can I can afford a hamburger and a Coke, I get it for free. It's, it, it, it's nuts. But, um, but that's where the inspiration of the brand came. Um, and if you want, I'll, I'll tell you the story. With why a Malagato is 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 what it is. I'm very proud of my customers. I'm very proud of our price points. For far too long, the um, motorsport inspired watch brands were were very elitist. Um, so the inspiration behind my brand. I was 29 years old. I took my son to the British Grand Prix. Um, it took us three months worth of Tesco money saving up for those tickets. Right? I mean, it was hard work. When when my when my wife told me that she'd been saving up her salary to go and get us tickets for the British Grand Prix. I was in tears and I couldn't sleep. I got them in April. That's my birthday month. And it was June, I think the race was. So, you know, April, May, June, literally every night, I couldn't believe I've got these tickets. We went, my son and I, and we had an amazing, um, you know, the night before, so excited, got up at six, drove down. So I got there and these tickets, I thought I'd go and meet my heroes. My heroes, Mika Hakkinen and uh, what? more Mika Hacklin than Michael Schumacher, but I thought I'd meet all of them because these tickets were so expensive that I thought that we'd be able to go everywhere. Everywhere I went with these tickets, no, sorry, you can't come here, you can't come here, you can't come here. I felt so excluded, excluded from everything. And then there was a, a stand there of one of the Swiss brands where the watch was 7,000 pounds. 
And it was, and I wanted a motorsport watch because I love motorsport and I work with a lot of brands with, around uh, around motorsport commercially. Um, and so there I was thinking out of these 300 quid tickets, I'd go and meet my heroes. I'd go and see the race cars. But actually all I saw was momentarily cars just racing by me. And then I was sort of told, right, go home. You don't, there's nothing else for you to see here. I felt so excluded. So when I started my brand, I was thinking about at my, I started my brand, um, I think I was 45. So a few years later, um, I, I was so upset about going that, 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 that race was my first experience. I thought, what about the guys who come with their own packed lunch? What about the guys who come with their sons like I did? My son had the hamburger that day in the Coke because I couldn't afford one. And I was just trying to find a water fountain to keep going the whole day. So I thought, what about those guys in the in in the crowds who are on the banks, who've got the general access tickets, who haven't got grandstand, who haven't got VIP? Why can't the watch industry make something for them? Because it, it was, it was in my opinion, it was too elitist. So when I started my brand, that's the guy that lives in my head even now. What about the guy in the, you know, what about me? What about what I want? What about what I can afford? What about the guys who put the tires on your car at, 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 at the, you know, at the, at the, um, at the supermarket at the weekend or, or, or the, the trading estate near you? He's a motorsport fan, but he can't afford a seven grand Swiss watch or a four grand Swiss watch. So that's where the inspiration of my price points came was I want to cater to that guy. I want to cater to 29-year-old broke me, right? What can broke me who has a, just an average, you know, an average income, average job, whatever average is, is up to you. But the, the average guy who loves motorsport, the watch industry completely excluded them. Motorsport completely excluded them from the experience. So what I wanted to make my brand was inclusive. If you have a job... If you wanted a motorsport watch, you could have an authentic motorsport watch. And authenticity is the, is the big thing. It's not just because I, I see a lot of competition coming up on social media. Hey, it's a motorsport watch. Well, okay. Why is it a motorsport watch? Well, is it because you put a stripe on there or, or what? Is that why you call it motorsport? I, I mean, I know I'm sort of jumping a little bit, but but this is this is really relevant to me talking about authenticity behind my brand. In 2021, we got invest. No, 2022, we got investigated by HMRC, which wasn't fun. Um, and they spent eight weeks going through our books because 65% of our gross profits were given away to motorsport in sponsorships and and um, you know basically um, yeah sponsorships and, and and profit shares and all that kind of stuff. We were giving so much money away to motorsport that they thought I was cleaning money up. Which I thought was hilarious because I thought I'd love to know how you clean money, <laughs> but um, by giving it away, <laughs> by give well, yeah, oh yeah, from getting it from somewhere and get. We we paid corporation tax. We we sat with them for eight weeks, and I've got a letter up in the office. It's framed now, and it's from the HMRC, and it, the word it basically says words to these effects: "Thank you for your cooperation. We're satisfied with everything we've seen." We've never seen profit given away like this before, percentage of profit given away like this before. So the authenticity of what I do is paramount. I'm not just calling it a motorsport watch because, hey, it might sell and I might do some marketing against around it. I'm so heavily involved in motorsport um, to the extent, um, and this hasn't been announced yet, but I'm happy to share this online because everything's been agreed and what have you. I'm going to be part of the FIA in January. So the FIA... Mm. Yeah, well, to, mate, when they called me, it was almost like I thought this was one of those spam emails, but I've been in and out of Geneva for the last nine months. 
talking to them about the commerciality of how to bring value to motorsport because motorsport's becoming irrelevant. You know, my son is 29 years old. He lives in the center of London. I love cars. I love motorsport. He doesn't. He says to me, Pops, you're wasting your money. Well, if you want a car, you press a button and it turns up 10 minutes later and then you get in it and it takes you somewhere and you're out of it. Whereas, you know, fools like you, you're, you know, you collect cars or you love going out for drives and track days. He said, I can't see the point. So here we are both with the watch industry, right? Because there's loads of watch companies that come out and they've got the what. We all know what the what is, right? Where's the why? I'm continuously talking about the why. Everyone's got the what. So you can, if you wanted a hatchback tomorrow, you could go and buy a hatchback car, right? But you probably have an affinity with a brand because they told the story of the why. Why come along and buy this car? Why buy a bright red Italian car? Why? There's no reason to, but they've told it the story so well that you want it, right? You know, it, it's that. So with what we're doing, the why is really important. And to be involved with the FIA, who bought some watches off me um, about a year ago, which is great. And, you know, they spend money with me as well. Um, so for next year, um, yeah, I'll be working with them. So, and I'll be giving them the why. Why is motorsport becoming irrelevant? We've have all, we have all these carbon um, conversations. We have global warming conversations. The younger generation, okay, we've got, we've got the drive to survive generation who brought some popularity to it. Once they move on to the next sport or Netflix get bored and they're not making any money out of it, what's next for them? We've got to keep businesses coming into motorsport. We've got to make money for motorsport. Otherwise, it is going to disappear. And if you look at anything below F1 at the moment, if you look in the grandstands, there's hardly any people there. Even at you know the, the final race of the WEC, which is the endurance racing, uh, there was no one in the grandstands. So um, I'm I'm I'm, div I'm I'm digressing now. So apologies. Ah, and is that why you've set up Timo Malagato as well to keep this fire kind of going and yeah. give people opportunity to be part of that world? Yes, yes, I have. So it, my wife and I at home, my children have grown up. They have their own incomes, um, so they don't rely on me anymore. So, we, we, you know, we're very easygoing. My perfect Friday night is uh, fish and chips and a video and then bed at 10 o'clock because, you know, that's it for me. I'm not I'm not one of these sort of West End London kind of guys. I find them quite nauseating, actually. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're that kind of people. We're still, um, although I can afford more than fish and chips now, but we're still that kind of people. Um, so... It, yeah, so what can we do to help out? So, you know, next week we've got this great thing happening with a young racing driver. Um, when's this podcast come out, Ricky? It's coming out end of November, 27th. Uh, 27th. So I'm going to give you the story now because mm -hmm. I'm so excited about it. Um, so I work with um, uh, Ganassi, Chip Ganassi Racing, which um, maybe some of your listeners may not know who they are, but they're arguably one of the top three racing teams in the world. So when people think about Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, or Mercedes, that kind of stuff, they, they're up there with that kind of level uh, globally, um, and especially in the US. So one of their star drivers is a guy called Scott Dixon. He's a Kiwi. He's a New Zealander. One of the, uh, and he's sponsored by Richard Mille, which is, which is wonderful. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Richard and Richard, Richard, he's a, he's a fan of mine, which um, I'll tell you the story in a second with how we got to meet and became friends, basically. Um, and one of my racing drivers that I sponsor is a guy called Louis Sharp, who uh, has come over from New Zealand. He came over to England and won, or Britain and won the British F4 Championship. 
Um, and his all-time hero, because I met him last week and his father, is Scott Dixon. Like I said, who I work with in, in Chip Ganassi Racing. So I put a little email out to um, Chip Ganassi and said, can you introduce me to Scott? I want to ask him a question. Scott, in, Scott uh, contacted me. And although Scott races globally, he lives in Windsor. He lives a mile away from my house. <laughs> and we eat. And we eat at the same Indian restaurant every Saturday night, but I eat at seven and he eats at eight, eight o'clock. So we always miss each other. So I said to Scott, will you meet Louis? And he goes, dude, I would. You know, let's make his day. Louis worships this guy from a small country of New Zealanders. I think there's 10 million. You know, they produce so many amazing racing drivers, including Bruce McLaren. Um, you know, so they've got some pretty epic history of racing drivers. So next Friday, the November the 10th, um, uh, we're getting uh, Louis down to the office and I'm going to pretend it's a podcast and just a video and I'm going to interview him. And then the idea is uh, I'm going to ask him if he wants a cup of coffee and I'm going to ask the guy, you know, shout out, oh, can you bring some coffee, please? And the guy who's going to come in with the coffee tray is Scott Dixon. Um, I literally cannot wait to film it. I cannot wait to surprise the guy. But because Scott is um, sponsored by Richard Meal, I thought I would um, send and uh, speak to Richard and say, listen, I don't want to tread on your toes. Um, do you want to get involved? And he sent me a message. He said, I cannot wait to see the video. And we potentially could share it through our social media as well. So they're getting involved in this filming next week as well. So, so Richard Meal is at the top of the motorsport game and obviously arguably at the top of the watch game too. Um, whether or not you like his watches is, is, you know, it's up to you, but he is, his, his workmanship is at the top level and we're at the entry level. We're at the sort of, um, you know, you start your motorsport watch journey with us, arguably. Um, so to bring in the young talent of British F4 with the epitome of racing, Richard Meal with Amologato and then Scott Dixon with Louis Sharp, it's such a, I can't wait. I'm, you know, it's not a commercial thing. It wasn't meant to be a commercial thing. It was just me going, wouldn't this be great? And now it's turning out to be, God, this is going to be freaking epic, you know? So I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Have they got Amalogato watches now? So Louis has, yes. Because yeah. I sponsored the British Air Four Championship. So if you get pole position on a Saturday, you get presented with the Amalogato Pole Position Award, which is a watch. So there's a whole presentation. And I do that with six or seven championships, including, including British Superbike. Um, so if you watch that on a Saturday, you'll see the riders being presented with uh, pole position awards. Uh, Trans Am in America, um, uh, the Sports Car Vintage Racing Association, Formula Regional, Formula 4 in America, um, et cetera, et cetera. They, they all get presented generally with a... Uh, and also, actually, we just signed a deal with Canada yesterday. So... It, that that presentation will will go into Canada as well. So um, yeah, I think now would be a good point to ask because you have dropped subtle hints that your price point is not like Richard Mille. It's not going to be like other brands that do Formula One link ups or other types of motorsports. So let us in on the the secret. Then what price point do your watches come in at? So my my first my entry point is ninety nine pounds be- because. 29-year-old me couldn't afford more than that kind of money, you know? I would, and, and if you love motorsport, why can't you have something that celebrates your love of it rather than just a cap or rather than, you know, a T-shirt or whatever? If you want to go to work in a suit or you wear a white shirt or whatever, something a bit more formal, why can't you have a motorsport watch? What, why not? There are wonderful movements out there, as you know, Ricky. Um, entry-level movements, three-hand movements made by Seiko, made by Myota, and they just work. 
right? They may not be the etters, they may not be the solitas, they may not be the mechanicals or whatever, but they just work and they work well. And that you know, if you want to get it serviced in two years' time, it's not going to cost you more than twenty percent of the watch, thirty percent of the watch, if you know that kind of thing. Um, so they start at ninety-nine pounds, um, and we have a wonderful range called the Tifosi. Tifosi, you probably know what that means, Ricky, right? I do not. Oh, okay. So Tifosi basically means you're a fan. It means fan off. So you know, you get the you get the Tifosi of the Ferraris, and if you watch the Italian Grand Prix, you'll hear the commentators saying, "Look at the Tifosi running up to the podium." So Tifosi just means fan off, and we have Tifosi LMR, which is the Le Mans Racing one colors. We have Tifosi Marinello. We have Tifosi Ganassi. So we have a wonderful range of Tifosis where if you're a fan of, you can afford a motorsport watch. Um, to give you an idea, we have um, uh, the Tifosi Ganassi. So it, it's 150 pounds, that one, because we have different specifications. But them, they're between 99 pounds to 150, depending on the specifications. Uh, depending on how many we make as well. So if you make, you know, a couple of thousand, they're a bit cheaper than making, let's say, a couple of hundred. But the Tifosi Ganassi, that'll be worn by people in the race team. And these people could arguably phone up and buy the company on their credit card, but they but they wear one of my watches, you know. And I, I, I'd love to tell you who I've had some amazing conversations with, but with GDPR, I'm probably not allowed to. But I've had, especially in the last couple of weeks, one guy... Uh, who runs um, and he's a legend, absolute legend. Phoned me up and bought twenty four watches off me um, because he what he bought them for his team as a thank you for racing so hard this year. As a thank you to him, I'm engraving all of the back of them with their with the teams with the team individual team names on the back. So you know Mike Smith, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that guy could have literally given me his credit card number and bought my company on his credit card. So that so what what happened with the brand and and with the with the people who bought into what I do the entry level guys have bought the watches which is great that's my customer but but if you look at the the list of the people who bought watches from us they are literally the who's who of the motorsport community um you know like I said I can't tell you the names because of GDPR and stuff but it is quite humbling when you see who engages with what you do and who phones up and say, wants to have a conversation with you. And, you know, one, like I said, this guy over in America bought 24 watches off me. I work with Chip Ganassi, um, who, like I said, is is a legend in my eyes, and now he's a friend. Um, and, you know, the last couple of times he won, they won the Indianapolis Grand Prix um, back in, I think it was, I think it was September or something. And I text Chip to say congratulations. And he's on the podium with one of my watches. He normally wears a Rolex Daytona. And there's a story as to why he's got a Rolex Daytona. But he takes that off now and he wears an Amoligato on, on the podium. And I text him to say thank you. And by the way, I've noticed the watch. And literally, I watched it on TV. He's texting me back from the podium. So it was, it was insane, honestly. But the, the endorsement is wonderful. The, you know, the conversations and the people who are engaged and understand what I'm trying to do, it's, it's really humbling. It, we're, we're not elitist. We're very democratic as a brand. We're very inclusive as a brand. We, you know, add, add, but, 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 the, but the general, um, what's what I'm trying to say, the people who've engaged with it are just, they're wonderful and they just do nothing but support it, which is great. And that's the hashtag Team Amoligato. If you go onto social media and click on it, um, Twitter, you know, Instagram, and all that kind of thing, you click onto Team Amoligato. People who've never bought watches and they've told me this, and I must get a message like this every week. 
I haven't worn a watch in 20 years, but I've got four of yours now. How did that happen? You know, so that, so they're really, really, you know, engaging with, with what we're doing and what we're trying to do. Um, so, yeah, we use the hashtag team of Moligato. And um, I mean, I mean, I have an involvement with the race team as well, where actually I have an involvement with a lot of race teams where we support what them. What race teams so do you work much. with? Uh, okay. Um, I work, so we did Le Mans this year. So the centenary of Le Mans, we had MP2 with uh, Nielsen Racing. That was wonderful. That was amazing to be on the grid at Le Mans with uh, hashtag team on Moligato or everywhere. That that was a dream. And um, we do Cayman uh, Porsche GT Cup, uh, GT4, where the team is actually called Team Moligato. So if you watch it on ITV4 in the UK, um, the commentator shout out Team on Moligato, uh, which is great because that's the official name of the team and it's a Porsche GT4 team. And I commercially go out there and find sponsors and find B2B deals and get people involved with it and, and get work with the racing drivers. We're actually uh, testing in, in Silverstone today, actually, this morning. Um, I can't be there because I'm here. Um, but um, they're testing for next season and, and we came second. We had many podiums, etc. So, yeah. If there's anything to do with Caymans, let me know because I've got an 881 and I'm in there. Oh, mate. Well, Ricky, you should have said I could have got you in a Cayman of Silverstone this morning. But oh, I could have got you a passenger yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, oh, no, next time. next time. But next time we do testing, I've obviously got your details now. You, you're my guest. I'm going to get you in a passenger seat <laughs> and get you around Silverstone in our racing. we got two Cayman GT4s. So um, in the Fantastic. Porsche GT4 Cup. So it's, yeah. But that's a, com- that's a separate commercial deal. It's not me just you know, putting a logo on a car, I now actively go out and raise money for the team. You know, whether the team needs a tool, you know, toolkit sponsor or a tire sponsor or a brake sponsor and all that kind of stuff. I work the commercials out on how to bring value to the team. And in return for that, the team has basically named it Team Amalgato because they love the brand. They all wear our watches. Um, And um, yeah, so, you know, going back to the authentic thing, yeah, I'm involved with the race team financially, so th- there's the authenticity behind the brand. I don't just stick a put a put a name on a watch and hope for the best. Um, you know, going back to the authenticity of what we do, I sponsor racetracks around the world. So Monza, uh, we sponsor them. So if you go to Monza, there's a clock there, which is um, uh, an old 1970s clock. And when I was doing the deal back in 2017, I was walking around. Um, with the with the boss Pietro, he's a good friend of mine now. He's been a, become a great friend, and he and I looked at this clock and I said, "What are you doing with that?" He said, "Oh, that's just junk. It's been there since 1970 something, and it's had a motorbike advert or a scooter advert in there, which hadn't been removed since 1983 or something, and the clock never worked. So I found somebody in Milan to um, recommission the movements." clean up the dial, um, paint it up and, and put our logo on there. And then I got a, a car resprayer who I knew locally in Milan to come in and respray this clock. It's about 15 foot high, like a, like a column thing. Um, it's about 15 foot high. It's probably only, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, 10, 20 centimeters square. So it's a, it's a square sort of column thing. And at the top of this column is this wonderful sort of rectangle clock. And it's called the Amalgato Clock. And I get customers who go and visit uh, Monza taking pictures underneath it and wonderful stuff. So we've got a bit of furniture at Monza, which is wonderful. I sponsor um, uh, Imola, which is another great racetrack in Italy. I sponsor Portimao in Portugal, Virginia Raceway, uh, Watkins Glen over in America. Uh, we're talking to 
six others um, around the world, and we're becoming the official timing partners for all of them. So no other brand has done what I've done with sponsoring racetracks. None of the big uh, Rishwan brands and the obvious ones, they've never, ever sponsored a track, whereas I've done it. I've done the B2B. Um, and, I ha- and I haven't just turned up with a checkbook and say, right, we're going to make a watch and here's money. I've actually said, right, do you need a fuel partner? Do you need a tire partner? Do you need a tarmac partner? Do you need a you know, a hot dog partner and all that kind of stuff? Because we, I've got a great network of great companies around the world who just want to have doors open for them. So, you know, a hot dog guy in New York might want to sell hot dogs in Portugal. I don't know. Um, it, it's that kind of value that I look for. And people think, and quite wrongly, they think that I just have this unlimited amount of money and just keep writing checks out for stickers. And I really don't. Um, we just did the Radical World Championships. Radical is a race car um, championship. In, um, it, it's an English brand, but but they race all over the world. They've got dealers everywhere, uh, from New Zealand to Korea to North America to Brazil, etc. And I put, they, they raced last year and did their world championship in Las Vegas. But because I sponsor Portimao, I put the deal together for them to all come over to the racetrack that I sponsor. So all 33 countries came over to Portugal a couple of weeks ago. And it became the Amologato Radical World Championship in Portimao, where we sponsored the event. But not only did we sponsor it, but I bought the racing championship to Portimao. So Portimao, the racetrack, made money out of me. And I don't want the money back in cash. I want them to invest it in more signage, more livery, more more activation for the brand. So, yeah, I don't have an unlimited amount of money. So uh, it's all, how can you make money? How can we make money? How can we make motorsport work? And in the meantime, I run a watch company. So how can we also sell watches as well? You know, so it's quite complex and every deal is different. Shall we talk a little bit more about the watches? Because Ricky's got some on his. Uh, well, I was about to him. jump in because we've we've <laughs> kind of learned everything about motorsport, but we've not learned how you've taken the ethos and the thought process of motorsport and the inspirations and turned it into watches. And like I said at the beginning of the show, it's a brand that I didn't know anything about and I'm learning just as much as Katia is. She's obviously spoken to you a number of times, but you sent me up some watches to have a look at. Yeah. And you said, go on the website pick a few, you know, go wild. And I did. And every watch you sent up is completely different looking to the next watch. Yes. So where does the ideas for the designs come? The inspiration you get when you get the buzz of the high octane fuel walking through the paddocks. But how does that transform to the sketches that I can see on the webcam as we're chatting in the background there? How does this all come? So you're right. Each each watch I design, I don't, t- so, you know, people have, I, you know, Amiga, for instance, has a clear identity and there's a couple of other brands. And when I first started out, someone did criticize me and say, your identity is, um, is quite different. Um, and, I, and I quite like the, the difference and everything. I don't like just one particular thing with different colors and different whatever editions. So the three that you have there, um, I know you chose four in total and two of them unfortunately sold out. So I couldn't sell them. <laughs> so apologies <laughs> for that. But you've got, you've got four different, very different watches there. And, I'm, and all four of them, I you know, started off on a journey and, and worked out what to do. So we'll start f- from the right. Um, this is not a visual thing, I know, but, um, but I'll go with the right. So the one that you're pointing at now is the Can-Am Black Edition. So 
Can-Am racing has always been epic for me um, and epic for a lot of people who love motorsport. It was unregulated racing in North America. You basically turned up with the car and the guy with the biggest engine won. It got crazy to 7.7 litre V12 engines with over a thousand horsepower, unregulated exhaust. It was totally unregulated. But the prize money was so big that people like Bruce McLaren got involved, John Surtees got involved. But the the peril, I mean, the chances of coming out of that race was quite quite poor actually, because there were so many people died. The clear colours and the clear and the letters that you got on, and, and sorry, the indexes that you got on that dial, it was very much orange. The papaya orange was a massive, massive feature of that racing series. Even the logos that they had, the Can-Am logos, were all, always used that orange. And those numbers that you've got on there, uh, the, on the indexes, are in that particular font because that was the font that they just put on the side of the car. So that's why I picked that font. So And, the, and then the two colors that you have there were, were the prominent two colors. So you've got a, um, I want to say, beige oatmeal color and then you have the bright orange the papaya orange both of them really really prominent in our series now if you flick that over there's a there's a really personal story behind that watch a friend of mine who worked at goodwood um a guy called henry hope frost he when i first started out he saw the value in what i was doing and he did a bit of pr for goodwood uh, the racetrack and it, and he basically said can i help you out because i can introduce you to the to the motorsport community and um, you know, let, let's work together. And and we worked really, really closely together. Um, when the prototype of the Can-Am came out, he said, can I wear it? And I'll wear it at the various shows that he was doing, commentating and that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, on March the 8th, 2018, he had a motorbike accident uh, and died, which was devastating. And he was wearing not the one, the exact one that you've got, but I've got it in the safe. He was wearing the prototype of the Can-Am. Every time he tweeted or did something, he always used the hashtag fever in his posts. And the fever stood for, I've got the fever for motorsport. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you posted a picture of, a, I don't know, a racing Lamborghini or something, this car gives me fever, hashtag fever. So if you look on the case back of that watch as a tribute to him, because he loved that watch so much and he wore the, he wore the, um, he wore the, uh, he wore the prototype when he died or was wearing the prototype when he died, it's got hashtag fever on the back of it. Um, and the community who loved Henry bought that watch because it was a tribute to him. So that design came out before, but it's now synonymous with the legacy that that guy left behind. And that's why that's got hashtag fever on the back. It's not because I thought it'd be cool. It's because it means something. So um, yeah, so that's that's the, the design on the Can-Am. Um, and then... Moving on to the next one, which is the the green dial, uh, Lamar 59. So the case came to me because I, I did see a case like this on a vintage watch. Um, I have a real passion for a brand called uh, Anycar and Racine. You, do you know them, um, Ricky? Yes, I have one of their vintage watches. Oh, I love yeah. Racine and I love Anycar and I love the Gallup brand, actually. I think the whole thing is wonderful there. I wish they were more prominent and I must have about 30 both any car and racing watches because every time I see one on eBay, I mean, you can get them. If you're lucky, you can get them from 30 to 50 quid. But if you're unlucky, they're about four or 500. But I tend to buy them at the sort of the 100, 150 thing. And, and they had this particular case, um, which it wasn't exactly the same, but it, it inspired me to make this particular one with, with almost the plush uh, buttons on there so that's my love of vintage racing watches right there and when i say racing 
Uh, the reason I say racing is because uh, Jim Clark used to wear um, a Gallup watch. So there's the inspiration behind he, Yeah, his good luck charm, so you know, um, I can't remember what year exactly. I think it was 67 he won the Indy 500. He, his good luck charm was a Gallup watch. and he, he wore it during the race. And every time he was racing somewhere where it meant a lot to him, he put, he's put his Gallup watch on. So, um, so that, that, that's where the inspiration from that case came. Now, the, that, one, that particular watch celebrates um, the Aston Martin brand. In 1959, they went from just a uh, regular sort of English car brand to uh, a Le Mans winning race brand. And their car was that color, uh, silver wheels, hence the silver subdial. And if you look closely, uh, Ricky, at the index marker 59, I don't know whether you can see it or not, it's highlighted in yellow. Can you see that? Not in this light, I can't. Oh, nope. okay. Well, if you look under a brighter <laughs> light, than, uh, yeah, if you look under a brighter light, maybe even a magnifying glass, that. The reason that's yellow is because the race car that won the race was in that dial color. Um, the wheels were silver, but it had a yellow um, detail on the grill. So if you ever Google DBR1, um, those were the exact colors. So I had to put that yellow highlight in there. And, um, and, that, and that's the reason, you know. And that was only because I saw the car in um, Goodwood. I sat with it. I, I studied it. And I needed to take details from it, the correct colors. So, and obviously they won it in 1959. So that's why the 59 marker is in yellow. So um, li little details like that, because it's very easy to make a watch look like merchandise. And um, that's the one thing I don't do is make my watches look like merchandise. I might have made a couple of mistakes with watches in the past and made them look a bit like it. But, um, but yeah, so subtle details. So if you know, you know. That does explain a lot looking at it. Yeah. And the two watches, you'll obviously have to look on the website to see what we're talking about. This is an audio podcast after all. Yeah. But they're completely different. And then we move on to the remaining two that you sent up for me to have a look at. Yeah, so Classic Timer. Um, classic Timer. A lot of my customers were saying we, we love the brand so much. Uh, let me just tell you very quickly. 95% of our customers have at least two Amodogato watches. Over 40%, because we did the survey about 18 months ago, and we must have had about a 1,000 people replying to the survey. So it's quite a, a good sort of, you know, cross-section of people. 95% of them had uh, two of our watches. Uh, over 40%, I think it was about 43 or 44%, had over 10 of our watches. And a hardcore bunch of them, um, between 10 and... 15% had every single watch, which is over 60 models. So we've got a really, really good retention rate and customers are really loyal to the brand. Every time I announce something, I must have about 20 phone calls on the first day saying, I need my watch, I need that watch. So we've, we've, got, we've got a really, really nice bunch of people, every single customer, wonderful, but we've got a heavy retention rate and they come back for more and more. The odd customer, you might get you know, they might not like the product and not, might not like the brand, which is fair enough. But but 95% of our customers have at least two. Anyway, they were all saying that, you know, that it's time for the brand to go to full automatic. Um, they wanted to move away from court or, or they wanted a model answer. So I, I started this, um, this project called Classic Timer. They're very, very low runs. Um, they're at £600 retail, so that's more than our regular price. We use Myota Automatics, which again are very, very reliable, very accurate, easy to service, etc. But the thinking behind this particular brand is classic timer. So it's in my mind, it's the watch. So I've got a few watches from the 1950s where they don't have flat sapphire glass with complicated sort of surfaces and that kind of stuff. 
So all, all this whole range has domed glass because that was prominent in the 50s. Um, there, it is sapphire coated. So we've added a bit of modern uh, technology to it with with regards to the glass and stuff. But they all come with um, the uh, uh, the dome glass sapphire coated. They all have sunray dials. I love sunray. I don't know what it is about sunray dials, but I love I love them. Um, and I don't know why I love them so much because I've been thinking about it. What, what affected me? Why? What watch did I see when I was younger that made me love Sunray? So whenever I do a premium product, it's the Sunray that I that I always insist on almost. Even the factory say to me, do you want to move away from it? And then um, the movement that we have on this one is the uh, the calendar one. So it's the month, day. It looks like a chronograph, but it's not. It's the, a month, day, and then date. Um and I've put a lot into it. So bespoke cases, um, the upgraded, uh, up, um, sorry, higher grade Italian leather uh, rally straps, um, the embossing on the back. They're not engraved, they're embossed on the back. And if you look at the edition number you have there, I think on the, it cost is only 75, I think there was, or 77. So they're, they're really, they're really, really low, um, low edition. So once they sell out, they sell out, and um, you know. Then we go on to the next one. So I have three more coming in where we've only made fifty of one, and I've made a Marinello, uh, which is being featured, I think, in um, the Gentleman's Journal actually in next month. Uh, it's just, uh, sixty-one, only sixty-one of those. So they're they're more expensive than my regular stuff. This I still believe they're great value. You know, things like raised indexes, um, uh, automatic movements, like I said, the bespoke cases, the, the the dome, and then and the low volume. So there's an exclusivity, but you know, again, if you've got a job and and you love motorsport, you can still afford it. So um, that that's the thinking behind that. Oh, but this one here, obviously, my background and my heritage is Scotland and Scottishness. This has got a saltire on the dial. It so does. What is the story with this one? So Scotland has produced some pretty epic racing drivers. You know, Jim Clark. Um, uh, oh God, my memory's going to fail me now, right? Colin McRae. Colin McRae, yeah, Colin McRae, um, uh, Stuart Racing, you know, David Coulthard. You've got all these wonderful Scottish racing drivers who, who came, you know, came from a relatively small population in Scotland and conquered the world, you know? So, um, yeah, so I needed something to celebrate them. There was a really famous racing team called Acuria Cos. I worked for them. Oh, did you? Okay, cool. I worked on their Jaguar XF project. Oh, wow. Okay, so you know you know the um, uh, the family and stuff. So back in 1956 and 57, uh, Jaguar, basically they, they ran Jaguars and they were a privateer team and they decided to go to Le Mans and they went to Le Mans in, um, in this Jaguar D-Type and they won Le Mans, both 1956 and 1957. So, you know, that 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 was a, a massive turning point for Scottish racing, a massive turning point and, and um, uh, it, uh, what's the right word? It, it, it got a lot of Scottish people back into motorsport and, 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 you know, inspired them. That's the word I'm looking for, inspired them to go out racing. So Scottish racing needs to be celebrated. So that's why you've got the classic time where it costs. And the amount of Edinburgh and Glasgow delivery addresses we've uh, we've delivered that watch to has been brilliant, you know. And and again, when you see the names who bought it, it's wonderful, really, really wonderful. So that's why you've got the Acos. It needs to be celebrated. That nation needs to be celebrated. 
Right, okay, well, we should probably close the show because we're getting near the end of our chat here. We could speak for hours. I don't think we scratched the surface. So me and you are going to have a talk <laughs> offline about future endeavours. Yeah. But the, the final one that you sent up to me, and I did pick this one. This was one that you happened to have in stock. This has got a look. This has got a very specific look. So take us through it. So when I was designing, there were four watches with this particular case. Again, it's, again, it's bespoke. Um, you look at the history of racing, you look at the glory years of motorsport, you look at the, you know, through rose-tinted glasses with with vintage watch brands and what have you, because there was a, in my opinion, uh, there was a there was an era when watch brands just became bigger and bigger and worse, in my opinion. So I, I always look to, my inspirations are the 60s and the 70s. This particular case comes from uh, a 70s design that I saw. Um, I can't remember the brand, but I really wanted to make this like a 70s um, inspired uh, watch. Again, it's a Sunray dial uh, because I love Sunray. Um, I sponsor Portimao, arguably one of the, I, I would say one of the best tracks in the world, actually, for facilities and everything else. It's just an amazing place. Everything in Portimao is silver, it's aluminium, it's glass, it's modern, there's LED lights, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, there's not much, there's hardly any history there because I think it's only 10 years old. I wanted to bring a little bit of um, design history into the, into the case, as in um, some, some historic relevance to it. But I wanted to keep the colours exactly how the track is now. And if you've never been to Portimao as a racing fan, even on on a non-race day, it, it is, you know, the materials used there, there's this slabs of concrete, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you've got that clean metal, aluminium, clean look on that particular Portimao watch. Um, and again, it it's wonderful. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's one of our bestsellers and people who've raced there, people who've won races there, they've they bought that particular watch. But I love the 70s. Um, I'm a 70s child, but I love the 70s and the inspiration. But And the case shape on this one is very reminiscent of, as you say, when the space race was kicking off yes. 69 forwards. Yes. And there are loads of brands out there that back in the day used something quite similar to this. So what would you say was your sort of design inspiration? What would you call this case shape and which model is this called? So the case shape, um, along the journey of me looking at watches and talking to people about watches, actually it's funny you should say that because one of the racing drivers that I work with in America in, in 1970, an astronaut from NASA came to his racetrack and um, he showed me this watch as well, swapped in one of the original NASA prototypes, Amiga watches, for racing lessons, wow. driving lessons. And he still got the watch, by the way, because I saw it about, um, it must have been about three or four years ago. And he's and it's and on the back of it, it's engraved NASA prototype on this on the back of this Amiga. And they gave the astronauts these NASA prototypes just to wear but because this guy wanted driving lessons in, in in America at the time, he gave him this particular watch. So maybe that's what stuck in my head, that particular design. And I've heard stories that I don't know if they're true, because there's a lot of folklore and hearsay when it comes to the watch world and space exploration. But I had heard or read that the original watches that were provided by different manufacturers, it could be Boulevard, it could be Omega, it could be anybody, to the astronauts, they remained the property 
of the American government and NASA and they weren't allowed to sell them on. So the ones that appeared for sale and ended up with other people, that's stolen property. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I'm going to get a photograph of this one now so I can share it with you because the story behind it is fascinating. This bloke turns up and said, I'm an astronaut. And the guy said, yeah, well, he said, can I have driving lessons? But I've got no money. And he said, well, I, he took his watch off and said, do you want us to watch it? And he went, all right. And they gave him a few laps in a race car. The guy still got the watch and he's got written on the back NASA prototype and it's an Amiga. So perhaps that's where my inspiration from that that case came. I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, racing has a lot of history. Watches have a lot of history. Um, you can go out and make a square a case. You can go out and make a, an oblong wall, whatever you want to do. It's, invariably, someone during history is going to have, have, would have made that particular design. So it's very difficult to just come up with a circle or just come up with a rectangle or whatever. So but it's the, I, I always take inspiration and I'm inspired by other brands and I'm inspired by people. Just get that chunky 70s vibe yeah. that is so cool. And like you said, with the aluminium dial, the playing of the black, the red and the silver effect, it definitely is worth a look. So everybody should be looking on the website to not just look at the two watches or the three watches we spoke about previous, but this one here's probably my favourite. And oh, that wow. is Thank terrible you, me saying that because I've got a watch here with a salt tire on it and I'm putting it to the side <laughs> no, this is absolutely fantastic yeah you, you've converted me and it's so strange because when i don my other hat when i do podcasts and obviously run the scottish watches podcast that's how me and katia obviously working with all the different manufacturers all the creators the artists from christopher ward in one end you mentioned yourself on one end richard me on the other we talk about christopher ward and roger smith and everything that goes in between but I'd never heard of your brand before and I'm feeling quite ashamed of that because you've got the history, you've not been around for two years or one year, you've got so many great watches and the stories are fantastic. It reminds me of speaking to somebody like Neil Duckworth when he recounts oh, yeah. tales of working with David Coulthard, bringing Tag to the UK, working with uh, Ron Dennis, all the, the McLaren team getting into sticky situations that we yes. can't talk about on air. It's just fantastic and these watches here for your price point, for the, the value you get and I love value most of the watches I try and talk about on Scottish watches it's not the price it's what you get yes. it's the feeling yeah. that you, you walk away with and you can spend 20 grand on a watch that really doesn't set the world on fire you know it looks okay but it just blends into the background each one of these here it could be the Aston Martin colours it could be the Can-Am with the, the, the IP coated casing right the way through to the last one we talked here that has got that vintage vibe about it they're all completely different looking and if they were placed in a table without a logo i could not say that we're from the same manufacturer because you've got so many themes running uh, independently so you've got something for everybody and again that's something great because a lot of brands they're all samey samey you definitely haven't got that so yeah well done thank you thank you ricky i really appreciate it. you know it's lonely running a watch company um and it's tough uh, don't, don't get me wrong it's really uh, as anyone who's running a business in 2023 it's it's or any any year yeah it's tough because we've got to tell a story um, but I'm really pleased that, you know, we're, we're beating records from previous years where things were arguably a lot easier than they are now, you know, cost of living, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we're still growing. Um, we now retail in over 200 stores worldwide as well. As we come to the end of the show, I don't really want to press the stop button, you know? I don't want to start the edit process because there's so many more tales to tell. But before we do let people get on their way, is there anything else you'd like to regale to the listeners? I want to just tell you that, you know, we we, we retail in, in nearly 200 stores worldwide. Um, so the brand is growing a lot phys 
basically on as, with, with physical sites. Uh, we work with OnTime throughout the uh, Middle East. Uh, but also the, a big endorsement is uh, the Amiga um, uh, retailers over in Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, and I think but the, yeah, the Philippines as well. They bought into the brand. They love it so much. The guy who owns Amiga over there is a massive petrolhead, and he read about me in, in one of the magazines. And he loved the brand so much that he's invested heavily into it um, with regards to retailing it out there. So to get endorsements like that from an inverted commas watch people telling the story of the motorsport, bringing it together with a product, and now watch people are getting involved, it it, it really is a massive endorsement to me uh, and the brand and and to my customers as well who bought into the brand. So uh, I, I think it's an important thing that that we are online. We do sell from our offices in Windsor. But we have over 200 stores that now stock the product as well. So it's not, I know you haven't heard of us, which um, I'm here to tell you and tell you I could probably bore you for, I don't know, one hour. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's loads going on with the brand, with, with, the, with the community that we have. And it's wonderful. So, um, yeah, that, that was it. For those of our listeners who haven't got an Amulagata watch yet, how do they rectify <laughs> it? Where do they go? Could they go to a certain show that's happening, Katia, oh, next year? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that as well. <laughs> Shami will be exhibiting. And, I'll, I'll uh, be there. I'm really looking forward and to I being there. I think he's getting something special ready for the show as well. I, I'm going to make a very s- small number. I don't know whether it's going to be one. I don't know whether it's going to be five. I don't know. But if you want to to buy a, a very special watch, we're going to be just selling it at that event. It won't be online or anything. So, uh, and with that, there'll be some other incentives. We have a race team. So uh, if you buy it from there, you'll you'll be one of our guests at a race weekend too, you know, that kind of stuff. So we'll put a lovely, lovely, lovely package together. So, um, but do come because uh, Katia is going to be there. So you want to meet her, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, Ricky will be there. Ricky will be there. Oh yeah. yeah, I'll be there. We're going to be recording, as I say, donning my other cap for the day. I will be recording lots of content, lots of video and a live podcast for Scottish Watches at British Watchmakers Day, which I cannot wait for. The amount of brands that are going to be there, the amount of people that Katia has spoken to that have bitten her hand off when they've been given the opportunity to come along. It's over 40 brands now, is that correct? Yes. This one show? Yeah, over 40. All British British watch watch and club brands. You've got a great bunch of people supporting it, a great bunch of people supporting it, and we're all friends, which is great, you know, so it's good. Well, you mentioned Dawn at Vertex earlier on, and the thing is, <laughs> everybody is connected in the UK. We speak to one brand, and instead of spitting teeth at the next guy, they're friends, they go for drinks together. You've got Nicholas at Fears, you've got Rich at Studio Underdog, through to Mike France at Christopher Ward and all the rest of them, all fantastic folks. It's a wonderful community. We all have the same struggles. To put, doesn't matter what 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 the price points are, and to, to phone these people up and get support and say, "How are you doing?" and and yeah, Donna Vertex, he's he's a proper proper dude. He'll tell you as it is. And he'll, you know, he'll celebrate you, but also say, you know, this is what we're doing and how do we get this? And I'm happy to give advice because we all just love what we do, right? So it's, it's nice. It's cool. Brilliant. Well, if people want to check out your wares, where should they be going? Uh, do come and visit us at amologatowatches.com. That's our, our UK website. Um, we do events. We do an event called Chronos and Cars where... Well, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's all about watches and cars. Um, so do come and visit us and do keep an eye out on our social media with when the next one is. Uh, I try and do as many events as, uh, during the year as possible, but amologatowatches.com. 
or pick up the phone. I'm, I'm here for a chat. I love talking. Well, that brings us to the final lap and the checkered flag is in sight, I suppose you could say. Well it's done. been an absolute pleasure <laughs> learning about a brand that I do feel sheepish not knowing anything about. But hey, every day is a school day. And as I say, I'm an enthusiast. I am not an expert, but it's been fantastic having you on the show. And we're going to have many conversations offline because you've piqued my interest about many different things. So I wish you all the best. I fully recommend that everybody listening goes and checks out your website, your Instagram, has a look through all these fantastic timepieces that you've got again at affordable price points making it economically viable for the enthusiast who doesn't have a spare seven grand or ten grand in their pocket and that is us so check out the alliance website check out the instagram and that is the end of the show Cassie, isn't it it is thank you shami oh you've been wonderful thank you so much thank you